Welcome to Faith in Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently, I was um, reading a, a chapter in a, a book, and the author had written, There's no event in the Bible that has caused as much controversy and endured as much attack as God's judgment on sinful mankind by way of Noah's flood. And went on, This treatment of Noah's flood is not meant to be comprehensive, but rather aims to demonstrate the plausibility of the episode and the evidence for its historicity. And so the, the chapter went on to provide you know, scientific evidence and archaeological evidence for the uh, flood. For those interested in more uh, details, uh, I was just quoting from uh, Dr. Gary Baxter's book, A Defence of the Bible, the, uh, the newly uh, revised third edition. But um, it, it is true, really, that um, even, you know, some uh, Christians sort of try to, um, you know, sort of rationalise the flood that it was just some sort of little local um, event. But one of the things that made me uh, think about this topic for today was uh, the uh, current um, uh, news uh, release about the discovery in uh, 2021 of a, uh, a very large ichthyothor, uh, which is a type of um, uh, marine um, marine creature. I, I believe it's related to the uh, dolphin-type family, but this was a very uh, large marine uh, predator. And it was very interesting that um, what uh, happened was a, uh, a contractor was uh, cleaning a water reservoir in Rutland, England. And if you think of uh, Rutland as a, as a county in, in England, if you look at a, a map of England and on the eastern side uh, or the right-hand side, you've got uh, this large round section that uh, sticks out into the uh, English Channel area there. Uh, and, um, well, Rutland is, is roughly in that area, but about a third of the way across, back inland across England. And so, you know, it's fairway inland. And um, so this uh, contractor was cleaning out this water reservoir there and uh, noticed these fossil vertebrae, huge vertebrae, uh, protruding in the mud at the bottom. And uh, alerted, he thought, wow, you know, I found something here. And um, because what had happened was the reservoir during the cleaning process was drained out and so in the mud at the bottom they found this uh, this creature in the clay there and uh, it's quite it was huge it was 33 foot long or 10 meters long and um, uh, and a, a very well preserved uh, specimen and it made me uh, think you know that you know what a, a marine uh, creature that I understand lived in um, you know salt water doing, Way over there in England, and you know, I've also talked about the, for example, the you know, discovery of a, a pod of uh, whale remains uh, on the mountains in in Peru, and all these uh, things to me clearly point that the the Earth as we know it was very different in the past, and I've um, also talked about 
for example, similar uh, uh, Maria plesiosaur uh, creatures, very large so ones of those have found just recently in in uh, Queensland, and I've been to uh, some of those sites. And what impresses me is, for example, in, in when they're finding some of these uh, remains. Um, and some of the other giant creatures that they're finding now in Queensland, you know, the bones and the fossilised versions of the bones are quite uh, on the surface protruding out of the ground. And when you when you think about how these creatures have to be buried and buried rapidly, otherwise they're eaten by, you know, scavengers and broken down. So to get a very large, complete uh, uh, skeleton uh, like this one that they've just found at Rutland, um, in in intact in there obviously points to rapid uh, burial, and I think that you know this is one of the examples we've we've talked about uh, before as I've talked about the issues for the flood. But you know, when when you think about it, what would we really expect to see today as a result of a worldwide flood? What would we expect to say? Well. Uh, we'd expect that most of the world would be covered by sedimentary layers. That's like rock that's laid down underwater. And that's exactly what we find. That's, um, and if you look up scientific articles on, on this and geology textbooks and even Wikipedia, uh, they point out that the, the surface of the earth is covered by this thin layer of sedimentary rock. Um, it's... Um, and it, it is. It's just this this thin layer where compared to the other the rest of the thickness of the crust. The other thing is that the Noah's flood d- describes this uh, very catastrophic event that occurred on the Earth. Um, we would expect then, as all these rocks ground up and moved and set and um, and you know turned to to sand and and so forth, and then distributed, we'd expect that as things settled after the flood and this massive turbulence that, you know, buried forests and so forth, we'd expect stratificational layering of the rocks. Um, We would expect that if forests and everything are going to be buried because it would have been lush, very lush vegetation, uh, and we know that when they're compressed under heat and pressure, they, the, the carbon or, or you know, is, uh, the carbohydrate material, uh, cellulose and everything, is just converted back down to, uh, to carbon or essentially coal. Um, and that's, again, what we find, massive coal seams around the world. And also, along with this catastrophe, just to bury the fossils, we would expect a rapid and jumbled up burying of animals and vegetation as a, as a consequence and many preserved uh, fossils. And that's, a, that's exactly what we, we, we find. And, you know, often, uh, you know, we, we had floods, and I mentioned this before too, a few years ago in Queensland, massive floods that, you know, covered um, the, the area of... Uh, Queensland, I think, you know, the size of the state of New South Wales. and But it didn't lead to the massive fossilisation of kangaroos and wombats and goannas and or possums and these sort of things, um, um, or even crocodiles, um, because it, it was a slow event. Now, of course, when they're dated, when the 
geologists in the past have dated these rocks. They've assumed the you know very slow uh, processes of uh, you know just a few millimeters uh, of sediment um, a year, um, and then over you know millions of years when they've come to you know layers of uh, sedimentary layers that you know a kilometer deep and this sort of thing have done the calculation. They said, well, they must be millions of years old. That's how it was originally dated. But it, it, it doesn't add up. You, know, you, you can't bury these giant animals by sedimentation processes that are a few you know, millimetres a, a year. It's got to be a massive catastrophic event to bury the, a giant animal the size, for example, of this uh, ichthyosaur that they've discovered. And the other thing, of course, is they found this one in the dam, but they also find lots of other ones buried in the you know in the uh, cliffs and and limestone strata and so forth that are found around England and in in other places in the world, and you know it it just fits this picture that, again of this event that was a massive fire, but it's not that long ago. It's not that long ago when we look at the erosion rates and and everything. Um, you know, England wouldn't have, would have eroded away if it was truly 180 million years old, as it says the, the fossil was. It would have eroded away many, many, many times. And one of the fascinating things is, of course, when we see this strata, now I mentioned this before, that some sharper contain very sharp, almost hairpin bends. And there are, you know, lots of photographs of these in geology books, um, you see, you know, I've seen them myself when I've been uh, in the Kimberley areas, for example, in in Australia, and even areas not far away from where I live in New South Wales, Australia. Um, I've seen examples of these really tightly bend and sharply bed strata. And evolutionary geologists are really hard pushed to explain this phenomena because, again, they assume that the formations took place over thousands, perhaps even millions of years, when the strata were laid down one level at a time. And they try to argue that high temperatures and pressures must have been involved. However, it's interesting that many of the strata contain fossils and shells, which would negate the, you know, the high temperature profile. And secondly, once these rocks are laid down and set and hard, if you, you can't then just go and bend them. You know, they're they're going to crack. The only way these layers that, you know, my understanding is the only way these layers, uh, on the basis of the knowledge that we have to date, could have occurred is when those layers were still wet and soft and supple. Because, you know, to bend them like a hairpin bend without cracking. Um, and there's, you know, as I said, lots of... Uh, um, examples like this. And the forces required to do this, you know, if they were set rock hard, you know, would be uh, you know, huge, but they're even going to be large when they're soft and wet, but it fits the example of the, um, of the flood uh, situation and the massive events that were occurring during the flood and perhaps just you know after the flood while the rocks were still soft before they had actually set really hard under pressure and so forth um, that this was a time when the mountains were pushed up and of course it explains why we find the you know the fossils up on the uh, on the mountains and um, 
again, when you look at the uh, descriptions in the Bible, um, where you know it, it talks about all the fountains of the great deep broke up and the windows of heaven were open, you know, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, and in Genesis 8, 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped also, and the rain from heaven was restrained, talking about the end of the flood. Uh, we see that it's, Scripture is describing an event that occurred that there's no other human record of a similar event occurring. And... Um, the examples that we have there um, fit this very rapid process. I think one of the points, uh, examples that again raises question over this dating uh, that occurs is the um, the example of uh, in the Grand Canyon, the Coconino sandstone sits on top of the Hermit Shale. But yet there's meant to be a time gap of six million years between the two layers. But when you look at the two layers, and I've seen f- uh, photographs of this and it's been pointed out, the, the bottom layer, the hermit uh, shale is virtually dead flat. It's smooth. And then sitting on top of that is the Coconino sandstone, which was supposed to be come six million years later. Yet there's no evidence of erosion that would have occurred over the six million years. It, and it just it's a, it's a perfect as if the two layers were laid down one after the other on top of one another. Um, and, uh, of course, when you look through the, the textbooks, you can see the, the photographs of trees, uh, the remains of fossils of trees that have been buried vertically, and they go through many, many layers. For example, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Derek Ager, Ager, A-G-E-R, who was Emeritus Professor of Geology at the University of College of Swansea, put out a uh, book and did quite a bit of work and argues for a catastrophic past, although he's not a creationist and young earth person, but he gave the estimate that the age of the strata that these trees pass through is 100,000 years. And he concludes that, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. And so, again, we've, we need to understand that there are major, major problems with the dating systems that geologists supply to dating these rocks and putting these massive ages. And we, we have the evidence before our eyes, as um, you know, Professor Ager points out, that um, you, know, you can't have trees, fossils of trees passing through strata that are then dated 100,000 years. That strata must have all been laid down at the time that those uh, trees were buried and they happened to be you know, floating in the water, uh, floating um, with as they'd become saturated different amounts v- vertically and, of course, they saw that uh, happened after the um, eruption at Mount St Helens, that violent eruption when a lot of trees were damaged, washed into the lake there, and they were floating vertically in the in the lake, and it's interesting. Often they, the tree stems have been ripped out and separated from their root systems and and the foliage bits of so the stems of the trees. So we have all this powerful evidence for the, um, the you know the description of the the flood, 
that is there. And, of course, we know too, as I've just mentioned, that rapid burial is the key to uh, finding the uh, or to the preservation of the, the fossils that are, are preserved. And one of the interesting arguments that has been um, uh, come uh, to light um, reasonably uh, recent, there was a New Scientist article in November 26, 2011, um, page, 20, uh, page 12, actually. And what, what, what happened was that... Um, a scientist, um, uh, Alicia Cutler, and her colleagues at Brigham Young University in uh, Utah um, did some experiments to see what would happen to dinosaurs if they if they drowned. Because one of the things is that a lot of the dinosaur remains that have been found that dinosaurs, where they've got a complete skeleton, and a lot of the skeleton materials are broken up. Uh, so when the animals um, uh, died, um, and the you know, in the subsequent action, uh, they, they were broken up and um, and uh, mixed up with other animals and creatures. But where the ones that are intact, they have a particular pose, and that pose is the head is thrown back uh, as if, you know, the head is thrown right back and the tail is, uh, the hind limbs are bent up and um, the um, and the tail is extended. Um, and it's this dead dino posture is actually called um, opistotonus, O-P-I-S-T-H-O-T-O-N-U-S. And um, it's been found that it's a result of muscle spasms caused by suffocation. And it's, it's interesting that um, what they did was, these scientists, they, they placed plucked chickens on a bed of sand for three months to see if dead desiccation would lead to muscle contractions that pulled the neck upwards. But the chickens just decayed without contorting. But when chickens were placed into cool, fresh water, their necks arched and their heads were thrown back within seconds. Um, so, and that was uh, uh, reported um, to the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology at a conference in Las Vegas um, back in um, uh, 2011. So here, this provided, um, you know, some... Uh, quite uh, strong evidence today that these dinosaurs would, had drowned. And again, this fits the position in the flood. And so to drown something like a dinosaur, uh, you have to have a, a massive um, you know, event. And the other thing is, one of the very important things to point out is that the, um, the evidence for the flood is, is worldwide. Um, you know, very much worldwide. You know, we find um, the, you know, the coal beds, you know, one site that are found in the United States are found in Russia, of course, on the other side of the world and, and in Australia. 
the, it's it's amazing, and and the same with the uh, you know limestone deposits, all these sort of things. They're they're worldwide. The phenomena, the types of layers are worldwide, and that's why the geologic column applies worldwide. You know, if it was a lot of little local floods, we would expect a different sequences in different areas at, at different times. But this is a worldwide. The geological column applies worldwide. Uh, it's a, it's amazing too the the fossil graveyards that are uh, that are huge as you know I've, I've just mentioned earlier um, when an animal dies decay they they don't become fossils you know we live on a road where there's a lot of kangaroos in our area and occasionally get hit by a car um, and they're knocked onto the side of the road and it's not long before. Um, they've decayed away and even the bones are removed by you know other scavenging animals and so forth. And so there's you know, very quickly very few remains. Um, and this occurs in you know a week or two. It, it's very rapid, the decay once the animal dies. Um, but it's interesting, for example, in Agate Springs, Nebraska, in the United States, there's a fossil graveyard um, that contains an estimated 9,000 animals buried in alluvial deposits. And they've got remains of camels, three-toed horses, rhinoceros, giant wild boars, birds, plants, trees, seashell and fish are all mixed up together. And, of course, Nebraska is quite a long way inland. <laughs> and, um, and again, you know, I find it fascinating finding the fossils of rhinoceroses and so forth that we normally associate with Africa. Uh, so this gives us an idea of the extent of these animals. Another one is in the Gobi Desert. I remember learning about the Gobi Desert in in uh, primary school, I think it was, or early high school. And there, of course, this is an area in Central Asia. It's one of the driest places on Earth. Um, and yet they find a lot of fossils there, um, apparently from uh, this uh, uh, Gary Baxter uh, reports in... Um, his uh, chapter on this that there's been 25 theropod dinosaurs and 200 skulls of mammals along with other dinosaurs, lizards and small mammals have been unearthed uh, in a very good states of preservation. Um, in another area in um, South Carolina back in the United States uh, there's the Ashley Beds um, there's uh, about 100 square kilometres uh, the fossils there were first reported back in 1881 by Major Edward Willis. And this area, again, contains fossils of both land and sea animals, dinosaurs, plesiosaurs, whales, sharks, rhinoceroses, sheep, horses, mastodons, mammoths, porpoises, elephants, deer, pigs and dogs. Uh, again, uh, there's an article on that on genesispark.org. It's uh, amazing. Another one uh, is the Monticello uh, Les Mines. This mine is in Artun in France. And the fossils are well preserved, very well preserved, a mixture of creatures. Some are salt waters, some are fresh waters, some are land based. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of marine creatures were buried with amphibians, reptiles, and insects, spiders, scorpions, uh, millipedes were found as well. Uh, and it's interesting, if you're interested in looking this article, um, it was reported in Scientific American 
back in September 1988 and uh, pages uh, 70 to 76. And it's interesting that the the paleontologists um, involved were bewildered by the mixture and variety of animal fossils present. And so such large deposits of mixed animals and aquatic fossils spread throughout the world, in my view, provide a clear demonstration um, that there was a massive, large-scale, violent, rapid burial. And that's exactly what we would be expected as a result of the worldwide flood. And, of course, we find the fossils up on Mount Everest um, and this sort of thing. Um, and um, there's either marine fossils found, um, you know, Mount Everest uh, in the uh, Makatana area in Nepal, which is 4,000 um, uh, metres above sea level. They find, for example, big ammonite fossils. Uh, and so there's you know, those big curls, uh, seashell sort of creatures. Um, and so, you know, the, the evidence is, is there so much. But again, it reminds us too that that was a time of judgment. And, of course, the Bible reminds us that there is going to be another time of judgment when God returns to earth to see what uh, us humans have, have done with that. And, of course, uh, we read about that in the different prophecies in the Bible and, and particularly in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. There, there's so much evidence, really, uh, for the Bible from science. And uh, remember, too, as you're listening to these faith and science programs, that there are a lot of programs there that have been pre-recorded. Um, you can find them uh, on the internet if you Google uh, 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au, remember the AU on the end, and click on the uh, radio button and then click on the listen and you'll see the Faith and Science program. Click on it and as you scroll down, you can keep scrolling down and there are lots and lots of um, presentations there that I've, I've given um, over uh, several years now that cover a whole range of topics. And, um, as you, uh, and I'd like to encourage you, if you're listening, to go there. And if you have uh, interest in, any, in you know, areas and more evidence that science the evidence that we can gain from scientific observations today support the Bible. There are so many topics and the different headings explain what the topic is on. There's a massive amount of uh, evidence out there and um, I'd like to encourage you to uh, search out the, the program there um, and when you find something interesting, send the link to friends, send the link to young people that may be dealing with these issues at school. Um, help your friends to become aware that there's massive evidence out there to support the historicity and the scientific accuracy of the Bible. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.